This is the Christian Circle Podcast and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show. Welcome to a new episode of the Christian Circle Podcast. Today we have a new guest. We have Mr. Matthew Leonard. He's the founder of the sciencesofsainthood.com. He's here to talk to us about Catholic mysticism. Now, I actually came across uh, Matthew because there was an online page where he did a series at uh, Venice, Florida. And this was way back in 2020, just to give you guys a background. Um, And this is how God works, just amazingly. And so, Matthew, tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a convert to the faith. I just celebrated my 25th anniversary into the Catholic Church and uh, this last Easter. And I'm a Catholic who has com- fallen completely and utterly in love with the Catholic interior life. And really, that's what I'm, everything I do is focused upon that. I, I teach uh, and try to cajole as many Catholics as possible to really focus on the interior life and, and dive into what it is that Jesus Christ has for us, because he himself calls it the one thing necessary in Luke chapter 10. And so I founded something called scienceofsainthood.com, where I walk people step by step uh, through the process of really what the spiritual giants tell us we need to do in order to become saints, because at the end of the day, that's what it's really all about. Yeah. You know, mysticism is something that is new because um, in, pre- in preparation for this podcast, like I went through uh, a few things and I saw that uh, it's not just like it was something of the past. So the early church had mystics. The, the medieval church had mystics. Even the 20th century had mystics. So what is mysticism actually? Mysticism is basically kind of, it's the hidden life. So it's the movement, it's the interior movement of Christ in our lives, drawing us to himself and making us like him. So practically speaking, it, it comes through our life of meditative prayer, our practice of the virtues, our fight against vice. Mm. You know, people think, oh, it's like woo-woo mysticism. Now, mm. the, the mystical life for most of us is very practical things. Mm. So it's really just God's impulses inside of uh, in our soul and us becoming more attuned to them so that we become more like him. That's really what mysticism boils down to. And it's, it's a very personal thing, right? It's not something that you, um, like a ministry that people will parade about and see. It's something that you privately have between you and God. It's so true. And the reason why it, it's such a personal thing is because every one of us is a unique child of God. And that's not a euphemism. That's a reality. And so there is many, there is many different kind of definitions, so to speak, of mysticism as there are people in relationship with God. So just like parents will talk differently to different children, Mm -hmm. the Lord deals with us differently as individuals. So while we will all follow the kind of same trajectory as we move toward God in this life, and the saints kind of spell these out in the stages of the spiritual life, Mm -hmm. how we go through those stages as an individual depends upon our individuality. So it's a very personal thing as God speaks to us. uh, And the church uses so many different kind of symbols and the, and the scripture does as well, like beloved and, you know, lover. And uh, it's just, we're the spouse of God. There are all kinds of different euphemisms or examples that scripture uses to try and bring some reality to this incredible relationship 
where God draws us to himself in a very personal way. Mm-hmm. So give us some examples of mystics and, and some of their charisms, like what their mysticism resulted in and how it affected their ministry. Uh, because I'm sure a lot of people and other Christians who do not belong to the Catholic faith, um, who wouldn't really know about this concept at all. You know, I, I'll just tell you some of my favorites, Pamela. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila is someone with whom I've fallen in love. She's the, the doctor of prayer. There are only 30-some-odd doctors in the Catholic faith. And she is someone who had a very profound encounter with our Lord. And the Lord gave her this vision of the human soul. Uh, first of all, she's a 16th century Carmelite mystic. Mm-hmm. And she has this vision of the human soul. And she sees it as this crystal globe that has seven different mansions Mm -hmm. in it. And she saw the soul's movement through these mansions as the movement toward God. And her real charism is partly this movement of the soul toward God, but also prayer. Uh, and, And she hammers on this constantly that we can't hope to make any progress toward God in this life. You can't even call yourself a Christian, really. Mm. If you don't have a very pointed, developed life of prayer. And the reason why is prayer is our relationship with God. And so if you don't have a life of prayer, you don't have a relationship with our Lord. And so she teaches us very strongly that we have to have this, this constant relationship that we move in and out of based on, you know, times of day. It's not like, you know, I'm, I'm muttering prayers to myself all day long. I mean, St. Paul says in first Thessalonians five 17, we're supposed to pray constantly. Mm-hmm. But what he means is we're in a state of prayer that envelops our lives because there's never a time when we're not supposed to be in relationship with, mm-hmm. with God. And so Teresa teaches us how to beautifully pray in a meditative manner so that our soul can make progress through those those mansions that she talks about. Mm -hmm. I I think another great example is uh, St. Therese of Lisieux, a 20th century Carmelite. Uh, Her charism and her spirituality was known as the little way. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that lots of people can identify with because lots of times you look at saints and and famous people in the history of the church and like, well, I can't do that. I'm not that good. But Therese showed us something so beautiful that she just wanted to be little And she lived a life of humility and love in every little thing. And it, it led her to sainthood and we can all do that. And that's one of the the things that I love about Therese so much. She's childlike. In fact, her name is Therese of the child Jesus. And she knew that if she stayed small, uh, then she wouldn't fall very far if she did fall down, but also that her Lord you know, her father in heaven would look upon her humility with great love and draw him to herself. Those are two great examples, I think, for us. And I think you've kind of introduced the next uh, question that I have, which is, can everyday Christians really become like a mystic and, and, and approach sainthood in that sense? Because even though we we are trying our best, like we get overwhelmed and drawn into the world and then we stay in the world and then we forget um, you know, that God is with us at that time. And then we, we get absorbed there. And then we return to our, our evening prayer time or our morning prayer time. And God is just restricted to those moments of the day rather than being with us throughout. So can it be possible that we actually get to this interior life through our everyday life? 
not only is it possible, it's what we were made to be. It's what we were made to do. I think so much, you know, we focus on the Christian life, getting rid of sin in our lives. And certainly that's a big part of it. And I think what we forget is sin wasn't part of the equation in the beginning, mm. right? The original goal was for all of us to become members of the divine family of God. Sin got in the way, so Jesus dealt with it, but he dealt with it, why? To get us back on the path to sainthood. And when we talk about sainthood, let me just introduce a different term in here. And this is one that a lot of Catholics and certainly most Protestants aren't familiar. And, I, and you know, I'm a pastor's kid. And so I, I never talked in these kinds of terms, but a lot of Catholics don't either. And the, the term I would use is deification you know, and divinization. What does that mean? It means become becoming like God. Mm -hmm. As second Peter one, four says we become partakers of the divine nature. So God shares himself with us so that we become like him. Mm -hmm. And so that's not an extra, you know, something added on to the salvation salad. That was the end goal from the very beginning. So that's really sainthood in its final form. It's us becoming like Jesus Christ in his, in his divinity so we can truly join the divine family. So is it possible? Absolutely. Is it what we were made for? Absolutely. And Jesus is all about giving us everything that we need to make that a reality, not just now, but for all eternity. What role does grace have? Because uh, we know in Second Corinthians, we hear, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. We know that um, God says without him, without us being in the vine, we cannot really do anything of our own. So what role does grace have to play? And for those who don't understand it, how do they achieve this grace when we actually know this is unmerited? But how how does this work? Well, grace is basically God sharing himself with us. That's the way the catechism would uh, describe it. You know, God sharing his life with us. You dif Different spiritual writers will call it like the seeds of glory. Mm. Grace is needed for everything. We can't blink our eyes without grace because God holds everything in existence. And so grace is basically God sharing himself with us. And why is he sharing himself with us? To move us toward him and to become like him. How do we get that grace? Well, on one hand, there are two different forms of grace, basically speaking. There is sanctifying grace and there are actual graces. Actual graces are those little nudges from God that he's constantly giving us to move us toward him. And he gives those to everybody. And we can slap his hand away, mm -hmm. but he's constantly giving those to us. Sanctifying grace is what we get through the sacraments. This is the deifying grace. This is God's own life becoming part of us so that we become like him. How do we get it? Well, we get it through the sacraments, you know, particularly uh, for Catholics in the Eucharist. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas said, when we partake of the Eucharist, we partake of a food capable of making man divine. Mm. St. Augustine said, if you receive well, you are what you have received. Mm. In other words, you are what you eat and we eat God. Mm. So we believe we, we partake of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. But the sacraments, like, uh, you know, you can go to daily mass, guys. And if you don't have a life of prayer, you're wasting the grace that Jesus mm. 
is offering you. This is where prayer comes into play. It's a one-two punch. We need that life of prayer because what prayer does is it clears away the us inside of our lives. It moves the debris of ourselves out of the way so that the grace of the sacraments, that sanctifying grace can have its maximum impact on us and make us more like Jesus Christ. It divinizes us so that we can participate in the divine family. So it's really, it comes down to Pamela just making a decision that every day I'm going to spend time, A, in prayer, I'm going to spend time with the Lord. I'm going to set that aside and I'm going to grow toward him in prayer. And I'm going to get to the sacraments as often as I possibly can. So you've obviously spent a lot of time. I mean, you've written a book, you've, you're doing courses, you have this entire website on the science of sainthood. So you've uh, made a very extensive study, Matthew, about all the saints, the mystics. Um, when you go through this um when you've studied all of this this stuff and in your own personal experience with your own process of conversion, how long does this conversion take? And how long um, will it take an individual who says, okay, today I make a decision and I change what I do towards the Lord. How long will this take? The, the spiritual life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Okay. <laughs> and so it's a lifetime, but what we're talking about is a growth process. So when you read the spiritual writers, they will talk about how we grow up just like we grow up in the natural life from infancy into adolescence, and then into adulthood. The same thing happens in the spiritual life. You go from spiritual infancy into adolescence and adulthood. So it takes time for us to grow up in the spiritual life. And it, it is a lifetime of growth. You never stop growing in the spiritual life. And the reason why is we're talking about the infinite God, right? We're never going to get to the bottom of almighty God. Yeah. And so it's a constant movement of growth. And I think a lot of people, uh, they expect super fast growth. You know, here we are in the, you know, in the age of fast food and yeah. internet, you know, bang, bang, bang. It doesn't work like that. We're talking about relationship here and relationships take time. And so there are stages that we go through in this relationship. One of the things that I do in the science of sainthood is I kind of lay out what it is you're, you should be expecting and what you're experiencing as you make your way through the stages of the spiritual life. Because Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross and Thomas Aquinas and so many others write about this because they've made their way down this path. They tell us what to expect. They tell us, you know, when, when we're going to experience dryness in prayer, yeah. for example, and what we do with that, how lots of people think, oh, it's a bad, bad thing. No, it's not. It actually means that you're growing if you will embrace it and you continue to go. It's a, it's a very meritorious thing to continue to pray in those uh, circumstances and God is preparing you for the next stage. So there are all kinds of markers along the way of this lifetime journey that we need to be aware of. I mean, you don't go, if I was going to drive to California, so I'm in Steubenville, Ohio, if I was going to drive to California, I don't just get in my car and start driving. I want to know where I'm going, right? I want to know what to expect as I drive. The spiritual life is the same way. This is the value of the saints. They've told us what to expect. And they also tell us, and they repeat the, the words of Jesus Christ. It's the one thing necessary. There isn't anything else. Yeah. Right? You can learn all the other things about the faith, you can know the Bible backwards and forwards and still not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And this is why in the Mary and Martha story, Jesus says, you know, Mary, oh, Martha, Martha, you're worried and anxious about many things, but Mary has chosen the better part and it will not be taken away from her. And he says, it's the one thing necessary. So we have to develop this. We need to learn about the interior life and then realize it bleeds out into every other aspect of your life and transforms you from the inside out and sets you on fire so that every other thing in your life is ordered to Jesus Christ and divine union with him. And it changes everything. So since you already mentioned this, like, what about people who are struggling, you know, on this path? Um, they've met a roadblock, um, they're experiencing dryness, or, you know, they haven't been able to overcome a, a vice, or they've just fallen. And there's some incident that has happened, either in a family, a tragedy, or whatever. Um, what advice do you have for the people who are struggling on this path? The first thing I would say is, you don't, you just don't ever stop, right? Mm -hmm. No matter what you feel, or you don't feel, God is still your father and you are still his child. And you have to realize too, that as a perfect father, he never stops loving us. Mm -hmm. He is never, you mentioned the verse previously, uh, you know, that my grace is sufficient for, for you. Jesus is telling Paul this, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Right? So it's in our weakness, it's in our struggles, it's in our suffering that Jesus Christ can be most present to us. And so we just continue to reach out to him, knowing that he loves us perfectly and perfect love drives out all fear. And even though we're struggling, the Lord knows exactly what's going on. Is it hard? Yes, it's hard. It is. And that's what sin did. It made things really hard. It put up all kinds of roadblocks and made this life difficult on many, many levels. That's why Jesus came. He experienced all of this as one of us. So he knows exactly what you're experiencing. If you're, if you're suffering, if you're alone or whatever it might be, he knows it. He's experienced it and he's redeemed it. And so you continue just to give those things over to the Lord on a practical level. You don't ever stop praying. If you're struggling with a particular vice, you get to confession, right? Because there are particular graces that the Lord gives us when we confess things in the confessional to help us fight them going forward. So you want to get to confession. And if you can, find a spiritual friend, somebody who preferably is a little further along in the spiritual life than you with whom you can talk about the faith, who can help you through these things, because we're all going through the same thing, guys. We're, we're all struggling and it helps to have someone who loves Jesus like you do just to bounce things off of and, and an ear to listen to and, and a word of advice. I have these people in my life. They are gold. I, I couldn't make it without them. And so find those people and, and lean on them. So if there was one thing, uh, Matthew, that you would say, if somebody today decides to, you know, embrace the interior life, what is the one thing that they should start with today? Start with the time of prayer. So I, I would say, okay, every day that I'm going to set 10 to 15 minutes aside to be with you, Jesus. And it will be the longest 10 to 15 minutes of your life. I assure you, if you have never done this before, it is the hardest thing. And the reason why is we're not quiet in ourselves. Yeah. Like we have to quiet our lives down. Yeah. And so what you do is, and this is very, very, very easy 
to do because a lot of people make a big deal out of like the complicated meditative prayer and you don't have to, but meditative prayer really is the key in many ways to this interior life. So here's how you do it. Um, the first thing you have to do is you got to set a quiet time and it's got to be, you know, a good, good time and place basically. So you need silence. Jesus needed silence. He's the second person, in the most Holy Trinity, and he needed silence. We need it too. Okay. So, uh, the saints say that early in the morning is the best time. So I have six kids in order for me to meditate. I've got to get up before all of them. Okay. So I get up early. Then I have to quiet myself down interiorly mm -hmm. as well. And a very practical way to do this, because it's really hard to quiet your mind. A really practical way is a, don't turn your phone on. Don't turn anything on. You know, you get your cup of coffee if you need to, but just say the name of Jesus over and over until you put yourself in his presence. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you quiet the outside down, you quiet the inside down, and then you meditate. So what is that? It's really just reflection on God that's aided by some kind of a physical input. So a book, for example, that's what most people use. Take the Bible. You begin to read a passage of scripture slowly. And when the Lord speaks to you through it, pause and just converse with him interiorly about it. Ask him what this means. What does he want from you for this? What, you know, it's, it's really just this interior conversation. And the, the trick is this, you call it the trick. The goal is this. Prayer isn't just a conversation. It's about transformation. So when the Lord speaks to you through that scripture passage or whatever you're reading, you have to resolve to actually act on what he shows you. So maybe he brings to mind someone you need to forgive. Maybe there's a vice or a virtue you need to work on. You need to resolve to actually act on it. That's the goal. Prayer is always meant to bring about action. But if you will practice that for 15 minutes a day and just begin to move into that kind of relationship, after time, it will, that time will go faster and faster and faster, and it'll be 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour. I didn't believe it when I first read that, but it is true. And the reason why is because literally this is what we're made mm -hmm. for. Mm -hmm. So dedicate that time to him and you will begin to see the fruit of Jesus Christ, the fruit of the Holy Spirit flower in your life if you just give him that time. That was great. I mean, that that's a really nice breakdown. I mean, it could not have been said better. Um, really, thank you for that. Um, so, um, Matthew, tell people where they can find you. I'm sure uh, you've done this course with many people. Um, where can they find you and your books online? The best place, uh, Pamela, is at scienceofsainthood.com. And actually, if, if someone's listening, uh, they're the the course Catholic mysticism and the beautiful life of grace is the first course. These are video courses, uh, inside the science of sainthood. And the first course is available for a couple of weeks for free and people can jump into it. There's no credit card. You don't have to cancel anything, whatever you can just, uh, you sign up and you can begin watching and you can access that just by texting, uh, the number six, six, eight, six, six, text the word saint to 66866 and you can get access to it and jump in and start your movement into the divine life right now. That's great. Um, so thank you for joining us on today's podcast and talking to us and giving us all these little tips. Uh, it was wonderful to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pamela. Mm -hmm.